We are so thrilled to be partnering with Hinge. Hinge is the dating app designed to be deleted. As you all know, I'm a huge Hinge advocate as I met my partner of almost three years on the app. Even before meeting him, Hinge was always my go-to app because I met more relationship-minded people here and had some great dates. Clearly, I haven't been on the app for a little while, but I re-downloaded it to check out some of the new features. One that stood out to me was the voice prompt, my best friend's take on why you should date me, where your friend can hype you up. Not only does this make the profile creation less daunting, but it's not always easy to see your own green flags. So to test it out, I asked UA some fun prompts to get her take on what I could put if I was dating again. So the first one, how long have we known each other? What was your first impression of me and how has that changed? Julie and I have known each other for almost 10 years. My first impression of Julie was that she's very social, but I've learned that she has a lot more depth to her beyond the social butterfly that she is. My next prompt, what do you think are my green flags? I would say she's deeply loyal. She believes in love, curious mindset, and she is fearlessly ambitious. And then last but not least, what kind of friend am I? Julie is the kind of friend who will always have your back, no matter what. Damn, that feels nice to hear. So download Hinge and try voice prompts today. Then find someone worth deleting the app for. I love wine, but sometimes it can get really expensive, which is why I'm so excited that today's episode is brought to you by Last Bottle Wines. If you don't know, they're a Napa-based online wine shop with a twist. They offer just one hand-picked wine per day until it sells out, which is often an hour's. So new day, new wine, always at incredible prices. We're talking 30 to 70% off retail. And the best part is that there's no subscriptions, no fees, and no minimum purchase. Just a daily email with a really great wine. They're offering Datable listeners 10% off your first order with code Datable. And now is such a great time to join as their marathon sale is coming up on March 28th and 29th. They flip that one day rule on its head and offer back to back deals, which means that wines are only up on the site for a couple minutes at a time and shipping is 100% free. They send us a mini marathon package of some of their favorites and let me tell you, they were delicious. Sign up at lastbottlewines.com and use the code datable and find out why Last Bottle is the most fun way to discover and buy amazing wine. The Dateable Podcast is an insider's look into modern dating that the Huffington Post calls one of the top 10 podcasts about love and sex. On each episode, we'll talk to real daters about everything from sex parties to sex droughts, date fails to diaper fetishes, and first moves to first loves. I'm your host, Yue Xu, former dating coach turned dating sociologist. You'll also hear from my co-host and producer, Julie Kraftchik, as we explore this crazy dateable world. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Dateable, a show all about modern dating. Now, in the nine seasons we've done this podcast, we've covered so many perspectives on dating, ranging from the traditional to the non-traditional. And of course, we've talked about the stats of people getting married later in life, or if at all. And some are challenging the notions of monogamy while exploring relationships outside this quote-unquote norm. Right. Kathy is our guest of honor for this episode. She's 34 years old. She's lived in San Francisco for two years, originally from Huntsville, Alabama, and is polyamorous. Now, this is going to be a very interesting journey story about how you grew up in the South, religious, to now libertarian, sex-positive, feminist, and polyamory. Let's talk about how this all started. You grew up in the South. What were your views on dating and relationships 
when you were younger? Um, true love waits. So I met one of my boyfriends in high school at a, an abstinence retreat, actually. What? Yeah. Um, I didn't know there were <laughs> retreats for abstinence. Uh, there were when I was growing up in Alabama. Wow. Yeah, Southern Baptist. So you met your first boyfriend there. Oh, no. Or you, one of them. Okay, you, you met a boyfriend there. <laughs> yes. And what happened from this relationship? Did you end up having A lot sex? of dry humping. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of dry humping. I officially lost my virginity in my wedding night at 22 years old. Wow. Was it to this guy or someone different? A college boyfriend. Wow. And what was it when you were growing up that you felt like abstinence was the right thing to do? I was always a very horny child. <laughs> and so it was important to me to have a good marriage and a good sex life. And I was taught this is the way to do it. And I'm not one to half-ass things. How'd you know you were a horny child? Because you dry humped a lot of things, <laughs> I'm guessing. I um, I wouldn't have described myself the way. The way my dad described me was boy crazy. Okay. Um, so that was a clue. Did you ever fantasize about what sex would be like? Of course. How did that compare to when you did actually have sex on your wedding night? We we had dated for three years when we got married and had done everything but. And I just thought crossing that line would be this big deal. And as it turns out, it really not. It was it was a technicality more than anything. And so when you're with someone for three years, I don't know. You're not excited about having right. sex with them, whatever that sex looks like, the way you are when you're first dating. And so in that way, I didn't expect it to be momentous because I'd known him for three years. So you didn't like get married to have sex. It was more just now it was available. I got married to save my parents the shame of living in sin. Yeah. Oh, okay. Because you just... were ready to have sex. I mean, I was kind of over <laughs> it a little bit by the time we got married. I was like, this is good. What we have going is pretty good. And when you say everything but, was there but? <laughs> I just want to clarify. <laughs> no. Okay, so almost everything but. Well, that wasn't a religious thing. I just not into that. <laughs> okay, so how long were you married? Four years. Four years. Mm -hmm. So kind of what happened there? I mean, it was a long evolution of things kind of taking me away from faith as I had conceived of it when I was in high school. Um, my sister came out of the closet. I started digging into where my religious upbringing came up against my feminist beliefs. And so by the time I was ready to get divorced, I had wanted to go to counseling the whole time we were married. He didn't want to go. He said he would go, but only if it was with our pastor. And I sat there talking to our pastor and his wife about what I was unhappy with in our relationship. And they only wanted to talk about my relationship with Jesus. Mm, wow. And it was clear that my happiness came way second to preserving the marriage first. And my relationship with Jesus was dependent on this marriage. And so I had mm. to decide, do I believe this enough to sacrifice? my happiness, knowing what I know about my sister and about, you know, what scripture actually is. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think so. Kind of broke up with the church and my husband at the same time. Got it. So was it the urge? Because I know like being polyamorous now is that you're with multiple people. Was there an urge there? Or was it just independent to that? Just things weren't working? I mean, it's amazing how you confuse yourself when reality is inconvenient. Because I had told myself, I just don't have a sex drive. And that's why... Hmm. I don't want to have sex with my husband. Then I was fantasizing about my coworkers. Yeah. But that didn't really fit in my narrative. It wasn't convenient. So I just mm. ignored that. Now looking back, I'm like, oh, I was very horny and not particularly monogamous. I was also very jealous always. If you even talked to somebody else, I would get freaked out. I realized I was projecting my problems with monogamy onto him. So these things become clear in hindsight, but not, mm -hmm. not when you're in it. But as soon as I got divorced, I was like, I want to whore around. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to have a... but. 
<laughs> with the butt. <laughs> with the, not the way I tried it, but uh, yeah. But I was immediately in a relationship with someone else as soon as I got divorced. A little bit before, to be to be honest. And this and is still in Alabama. All in Alabama. And I was like, listen, I really love you, and I want this to work out. But I need to whore around before dead and gone. Like this is just a thing that's important to me. I never got to have an early twenties. It's my late twenties, but you know, at some point it needs to happen. And so he was like, well, have you heard of polyamory? And I was like, not really. This is in Alabama? Someone brought this up? He's from New York. Oh, okay. Gotcha. (laughs) I was going to say, like, what do people even whore around in Alabama? Oh, yeah. They do? Okay, okay. So it's not... (laughs) Under the radar, Not as pure as it comes off Yeah, no, they're not... The slut pride is not uh, as strong as in San Francisco, for sure. But yeah, it happens. Okay, so this guy from New York introduced you to polyamory. And had you heard of it before? Probably, but not that I could remember. It wasn't a thing I was thinking about, that's for sure. Was he polyamorous? No. Okay. So he's just something he heard about. Yeah. But okay. he's like pretty slutty too. So it okay. worked out. So did you guys like explore poly relationship? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We were poly for several years. And then how did you end up where you are today here in San Francisco? Oh man. I was dating two software engineers long distance from DC. So I moved from Alabama to DC with this guy from New York. I've been in DC for five years. I was ready for a change. Dating in DC is not easy as a heterosexual, mostly heterosexual woman, bisexual woman. And yeah, so I moved out here to be with them. And that was two years ago. The and long distance people. The long distance people. How did you even meet them? And two of them. So one, hilariously, I went to high school with and grew up religious. Yes. So you guys both were belts. <laughs> Him sooner than me, but we, we got there eventually both of us. The other through Twitter. <laughs> through Twitter? Twitter. It's like people meet it. through DMs on Instagram. He's slid into my DMs. It's very 2012. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, this was, yeah. <laughs> to San Francisco to be with the software engineers. Yes. It, both of them. And then you discover there's 10,000 more here. Yes. <laughs> Much to my delight. And then what happened? Oh, man. And were you still with a boyfriend at the time? Um, No. We had, we had broken up. It's weird. Some relationships are better long distance. Mm. Some relationships, when you when it's the daily thing, you're a different person on vacation. Right. Um, you're a better person usually. You know, what it is to vacation with someone or visit someone is very different than what it is to live with them or see them multiple times a week. And so right. they were not right for me as configured. Um, I'm still close with both of them. Why did you and the boyfriend break up? I mean, we had some dysfunctions for sure. And rather than like face those dysfunctions and either fix them or break up, I just kind of left him for another guy I was seeing. Mm. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Why turn to polyamory opposed to just being open or like having just sexual encounters with other people? Yeah, that's a good question. Probably it was that whole wanting to be like actually free. And if you have a lot of rules, then you're not as free. When I when we first opened up, it really was just sex. Okay. I just had a lot of sex with a lot of people and I didn't really have ongoing relationships with them. But as I've had a lot of that, I don't really like it. I don't like sex that doesn't involve feelings or Mm. connection. Sometimes. And, you know, I'll take it if, if that's all that's available. <laughs> um, but my preference is to have sex that, you know, 
meaningful. Yeah, interesting. Mm. You're an interesting person and I mm. I care about you. It's not way. just for the sake of having sex. You actually enjoy this person. Right. You find them interesting. Not that there's anything wrong with sex, just bodies. Like, I think that's fantastic. And like I said, I, I've done it. I'll do it again. I, I prefer that kind of more connected sex. Not as fulfilling mm. to you. <laughs> yeah, it's not as interesting for me, for yeah. sure. So you said something interesting that you just wanted to be free. Yeah. Like, in your polyamorous relationships, do you ever have like primary partners and then secondary or do you kind of keep everyone at the same level? Yeah, I've had it all. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I thought I was non-hierarchical for a while and then it turns out that I really wanted a partner, a primary partner, Mm. a life partner. Actually, it hurt someone very badly creating an expectation that we would be non-hierarchical and then putting them below someone who wanted a more hierarchical relationship with me. And I think that's kind of a central tension in my life and probably not just mine is that I want it all. I want total freedom and I want total security. Mm. I want primary partner and to be answerable to no one. Um, I want excitement and comfort. Now what I'm focused on less is figuring out what I want and more, I mean both, but I'm more focused now on being humble about what I can promise people because I don't want to put anyone in that situation again where they think I'm going to do one thing and I do another. But it's hard because I don't even know myself. Like I think I want to, I'm pretty sure I want a primary partner and a life partner but you know what does that mean like what does that cut me off from um, what does that require of me these are tough questions and I'm still trying to figure it all out yeah. so what is kind of like your current situation like what's like a day in the life of like different partners and like do you have like a primary partner like how does that work for you uh, I'm in a moment of transition okay <laughs> as we all are I think at all times you know, it's it's um, fluid right now, but I'm very grateful to be with people who are my friends and lovers. And that's not always been the case. So when you were like not in this state of transition as much, like did you have a primary and then yes. like, okay, and then like how many secondary people did you have kind of at a given time? Probably like two to four. Okay. Yeah. It's kind of funny. Like, how do you, they're my friend first and foremost. Mm -hmm. We see each other however much we see each other. We have sex, whatever percentage of Mm -hmm. the times that we see each other. So I don't even know some of them, like how I would describe them, but yeah. I feel like we've heard that a lot. Yeah. And people like the poly community and people we've actually spoken with from Organ House too is like, it's not as like prescriptive as, as defined defined as people that are in more monogamous relationships yeah. like a lot of it's like yeah i enjoy this person as a person i'm attracted to them and we fuck basically it's <laughs> yeah. like it's uh it's mindful right yeah. so you want to be with that person because you want to not because you feel like you're in a binding relationship right. but us monogamous people are so so stuck on the dtr we mm-hmm. gotta like define the relationship right. i gotta know for a thing or not why does it even fucking matter it doesn't is it gonna change if you have a label probably no not. it's not gonna make you happier <laughs> i can guarantee that would you ever go back to being monogamous or is kind of poly the way for you i think so I mean, I've been monogamous for short periods when I had a partner who wanted to close up the relationship. That was fine with me, you know, especially when I was in that mode of really wanting a primary partner. Um, It's not my preference, but, you know, polyamory takes a lot of time and energy. (laughs) And if I were with someone who was like, I don't really want to spend it, I don't really want you to spend it, I'd be like, yeah, you know, I I can live without it. Not having the option would be hard, but not exercising it, less so. Mm, So it sounds like you really just want the option more. Yeah, I think so. That's the freedom part. 
Yes, definitely been an animating desire throughout my life is that desire for freedom, a very strong value of mine. So I know like with polyamory, a lot of people that are hardcore polyamory, like will say that you kind of learn so much about yourself and relationships and trust and communication, all that stuff. Kind of do you feel like you can also learn that through monogamy? Or do you think there is like a certain situation with polyamory that does give you more of that learnings? I think you can learn everything that you can learn in polyamory and monogamy. Really? Absolutely. I mean, think about it. What's the difference really between having an honest and open conversation with your partner about being attracted to someone else in the context of you can't have sex with them and you can't have sex with them? It's kind of the same shit, right? Mm. It's like, like for me, when I've been in a relationship, what hurt me was that they wanted to rather than whether they did or not. Mm. It's like, I feel jealous and insecure that you want to fuck this other person. And so confronting those feelings and dealing with them as a couple and being constructive about it doesn't require having sex with other people. It just requires being honest. And so, yeah, I think I think everything can be achieved without polyamory. What I think, though, is that most people just don't have that conversation because they don't feel like they need to. They're attracted to other people. They're not getting their sexual needs met, whatever, whatever. And they just kind of grin and bear it and wait for it to pass rather than taking that opportunity to grow with their partners. And so it's a forcing function mm. for a lot of this growth. Like polyamory forces you to have those conversations because yeah. you're faced with it day to day. Exactly. Yeah, I feel like sometimes, I don't know, I go back and forth on this. I'm in a monogamous relationship right now. Do I want to know that he's attracted to someone else? even though he's not going to act on it? Will that information help me? Or do I, would I rather just not know? I don't know. I go back and forth all the time. What about you, Julie? Would you want to know? <sighs> That's a tough one. Because <laughs> I debate, I'm like, it'd be nice to know because then I, I don't want him to feel deprived of that mentality. You know, even if he doesn't act upon it, it would be nice to have a release from it. Yeah. But then at the same time, I almost feel like some people get off on being able to hide that secret. Like I'm right. attracted to someone else that's not my partner. It's out in the open, then maybe the attraction's no longer there. Yeah, I don't think I'd want to know if they weren't going to act on it. I think like what the part about polyamory that I do actually appreciate is that it's like a way to kind of honor just like what you want to do without cheating on someone, right? And like having that like distrust. But I guess in this situation, if they're not going to act on it anyways, I don't know. I think it it would depend like if it's actually causing issues in the relationship to like your point earlier, like if it's like things that you're like holding back and resenting and like it's causing the relationship not to flourish, then yeah, I would want to know. I'd rather get it out in the open to discuss but if everything was going great besides that I don't know if it would be necessary one thing to keep in mind is that talking about these uncomfortable issues is an avenue for you and your partner to connect yes yeah yes that's very true it's a kind of intimacy that you're not going to be able to have otherwise which may or may not be valuable to you but since I love talking about people's love lives it's been incredibly valuable to me to get to connect with my partners on that level who are you attracted to yeah did you flirt with her how did it go these conversations were of course painful and of course hard at first and are still sometimes hard but they're also very for me rewarding it could give like a spark mm. to the relationship i could oh, see that sure. like oh do you think that girl's hot like definitely could see that and it does help eroticize things that would otherwise be painful or threatening like someone showing interest in your partner can be painful and threatening but it can also be very erotic right it's like mm. when you kind of get turned on when someone's like flirting with your partner a little yeah well yeah it's like when we interview celeste a sex coach um on our show she i asked her do you think your clients fantasize about you when they're having sex and she said I sure hope so <laughs> it's healthy for people to fantasize about other people when they're having sex with their partner so I again I think it goes back to what you were saying it's the 
freedom part. When people feel like they're stuck in a box of rules and boundaries, that's、yeah. when they want to do something maybe outside the box, outside the boundaries. But if people feel like they have the option to step outside the box, maybe that's all that's necessary. Yeah, I mean, maybe all. And I hate this binary thinking. Like you're open or you're closed,、mm-hmm. you're mono or you're poly. It's like, well, what are you if your partner talks about, like, pretends you're someone else audibly to you when you're having sex、mm. or recounts a previous sexual encounter while you're having sex? Like, you can bring in elements of non-monogamy to spice things up or be a little bad or whatever.、Um, what are you if you can only make out with other people? Like. Right, there's more、mm, fluid aspects of it. Absolutely, it's a spectrum. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, I never really thought about it that way. I'm very binary in my thinking, for sure. You're either open up your relationship or you haven't. I think most people think of it that way. But it's it's really great the two think about this as a spectrum of how you can bring in what you're saying、um, non-monogamy into the relationship without acting upon them. Right. It's really great too if someone comes to you and they're like, "Hey, I want to open up our relationship," and you're not comfortable necessarily with them like full on having sex with other people. Maybe there is like some sort of middle that you can like agree on that will get their urge out, but not like in a way that's not comfortable. I was kind of thinking about. This、um, the other day because I went to a comedy show and this guy said, "At what point are you too old to call someone your boyfriend or girlfriend?" Because that seems like a very <laughs>、yeah. juvenile title. Totally. But at the same time, it's really exciting to call someone your boyfriend girlfriend because you feel juvenile. You、right. feel like it's the puppy love phase. And then when you call someone your wife or husband or your life partner, for some reason that label makes that relationship boring. <laughs> totally.、Right? You totally think of like. Like oh now you're not having sex or now you guys are just that old married couple. There's like no happy medium. So why is that when we think about settling with someone monogamously that turns into something really boring? It totally is, and I think that's like a lot of the reason why people like find this exciting. It's like if you think about it, like, like it's always like the I'm not going to stereotype married old people, right?、Yeah. Like with that, but they love like the dating stories or like when you like have that hookup. So you kind of like lose that. When you've been with the same partner for years, like it's just、mm-hmm. not those new experiences aren't happening as much.、It's、hard for me to say because I haven't been with someone for like that long that I felt that. But if、mm-hmm. I was with someone for like twenty years, maybe I would feel like I wanted to like actually、um, have those new experiences again if it's something that you missed having before. And this is something Esther Perel is so amazing、mm-hmm. on, so good on. But about the tension between、um, predictability and eroticism, about how if You feel totally safe and secure in your relationship. That's really antithetical to feeling turned on. Hmm. And so I think that's that tension of when you're married, right? That's a that's a sense of security. Yeah. When you've、mm. been together a really long time, that offers a sense of security. But then it's also incredibly unerotic. But the truth is, in every relationship, there's a lot of uncertainty、mm-hmm. that we don't like to acknowledge because it's really unpleasant. And so what polyamory can do or or does, but you don't need polyamory for, is it. Acknowledges and brings that uncertainty to the surface because you can't、mm. ignore the uncertainty of whatever happening when a lot of whatever is already happening. Right.、Um, And so I think acknowledging that your partner is a completely different person than they were when you got together with them, because we're always changing, we're always dynamic.、Right. Acknowledging that their needs and sexual desires are going to change and are not being completely fulfilled by you, because 
you're one person. Mm-hmm. Like acknowledging these areas of uncertainty can be highly erotic if you have the courage to do it. Yeah. I mean, boom. <laughs> just, <laughs> this is my internal conversation every fucking day, Kathy. Every fucking day. I'm like, how can I connect better with my partner without forcing things to happen? But I feel like in life, not just in a relationship, is only when you're uncomfortable, that's when you can progress. And that's when you develop. And that's when you find yourself. So what happens in stable monogamous relationships is that you no longer put yourself in that discomfort. Everything is just so comfortable going forward. Or you accept it the way it is. Mm -hmm. So even if you're not happy, you become complacent and that's just accepted. It's not like, let me figure out how to like make things the best it can be. And this is exactly why so many empty nesters are now getting divorced. This This is the stats are through the roof on this because these married couples lost themselves in their kids and the kids leave the house and they have to re-meet each other again and then that creates a lot of conflict because all of a sudden they don't know how to deal with that discomfort in a relationship so then they peace out it's so fascinating because the highest divorce rates now are for people who are like in their 50s that is really fascinating yeah it's the empty nesters it's initiated by women initiated by mostly initiated by women mostly initiated by women and then it's like years of built up resentment too you know it's that like oh oh, for the last 30 years, I felt this about you. Why didn't you do the dishes every night? And then all of a sudden it blows up when the kids are out. Well, I think also people preserve for the kids a lot of times too. So if that's not a factor anymore, then it leads to more of this. And like a lot of parts of this country and other countries, like polyamory isn't as big and as open as it is in like San Francisco, New York, like some of the major cities here. Mm -hmm. So maybe if there were other options that some of these people could look at, maybe it would get the spark back in their relationship or it would kind of like we've heard from people like it's hard to have someone that's like a good kind of like roommate plus lover plus Mm -hmm. all this stuff like maybe there's a way to appreciate that person more for like whatever kind of capacity they're filling yeah so when I present this idea of like open relationships or polyamory to some of my married friends who may be experiencing some issues they are all open for it but the one thing holding them back is how do they present this news to their family Mm. so I guess this is where you would come in Kathy (laughs) so religious your family's religious how are you able to sell this idea to your family i mean i would not describe them as sold (laughs) (laughs) still working on it funny such of the imagination i've always had i don't know you could call us close you could call us not having sufficient boundaries however you want to describe it but you know we've always been really open with each other and we've always put our relationship with each other above disagreements so if we disagree about politics or with you know religion or, or lifestyle it's like i don't like what you're doing. I don't agree with it, but I still love you and you're still invited to Christmas. And so... You know, that's kind of how we've handled it. I, they want the best for me. This is not what they think is the best. You know, I tried it their way. <laughs> um, I gave it a real shot. And, you know, I'm not saying this is this is right for me or for anyone else, but... But they are aware. Oh, uh, I mean, the whole internet's aware. And they have the internet in Alabama, so yes. <laughs> <laughs> and what's a harder news for them? Is it your sister coming out or is it you exploring non-monogamy? You know, we're, we're in competition. We were in competition. <laughs> for a while. She also works in cannabis. Oh so. my god. Oh wow. Double whammy <laughs> Is there. it just the two 
of you, or do you have like an angel brother? That's yeah, just right. Like, uh, at church a every day. Yeah. <laughs> we have two stepsisters who are married to engineers and having lots of babies. So okay. oh, perfect. So they can take church attenders. That's good. You yes. need like a buffer like that. Absolutely. Yes, we do. Totally. Yes, we well, do. see, the thing is, my sister she married her girlfriend, and they have a dog, and they're looking to adopt, and so she's kind of back in the good graces, like right. really, you know. She's on the life track. Yeah, she's <laughs> right. she's back. So, so I guess is polyamory a thing in Alabama? Like, has besides your like one enlightened <laughs> New York transplant. Like, do you think other people know about it? Yeah, for sure. I mean, there's definitely an active fet life community. Definitely okay. swingers. Mm-hmm. Um, polyamory, probably less so. But there's certainly non-monogamy in Alabama. Okay. It's maybe not as out in the open as here, but it's definitely something that is happening. I mean, even in D.C., it wasn't nearly as out in the open as it right. is here. Mm-hmm. This is a whole nother level. Maybe it's just a difference between keeping it under wraps and then here we, like, celebrate it. Yeah. yeah I You're- think I mean, we've heard that from other get like when we had Ben and Kate on the mm-hmm. podcast um, that we did the sex party with and we talked about their polyamorous marriage like they said even in New York there was a scene but it was more underground yeah. people didn't want it to be like associated with profession as much where here people I think are a little more open and there's still a lot of stigma yeah oh absolutely because like, it's still relatively new-ish right. for mainstream do you think there's stigma here like have you experienced even in San Francisco I mean yeah I, I have people who are not out because they don't want they maybe let's just say work at a school yeah mm. it's mostly work they don't it's work, work and family yeah people who live here and their families don't and or their families are conservative and they just don't want to deal with it what is it that it's like perception that you're like a slut or like honestly one of the weirdest things is that a lot of people will look at an open relationship or an open heterosexual relationship and assume the woman is being put upon taken advantage of played oh, for right. a fool yeah which is absurd because the vast majority of heterosexual open relationships are initiated by women uh-huh. and women have a much easier time in non-monogamy than men do. Uh-huh. So it's, it's the opposite of anything, but just cultural tropes and gender essentialism um, and misogyny, you know, men are horny and women are to go along with, you know, what their husbands right. want. Right, they're being tricked into this. Yeah. Right, we hear that a lot, but that's not really the case. We not definitely see the women initiating. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue because you also described yourselves as sex positive libertarian feminist yes what other views do you think that you, <laughs> you are so san francisco right now <laughs> i don't even know how much more like you just need to buy some bitcoin oh my god oh my god a t-shirt that's printed sex positive no libertarian feminist because i think you should get one and i will i will volunteer to make you one because that would be amazing we should maybe start selling those on the table site let's read Yes. resurrect the t-shirt I love business. But <laughs> we should just change the name of this podcast. <laughs> Sex positive libertarian feminist podcast. <laughs> so I guess, well. is there any views that like particularly stand out? Things that you talk about outside of polyamory that falls into? Sex work decriminalization. Mm, okay. Is probably my big hobby horse. Got it. Yeah. Why? Uh, you don't own something if you can't sell it. Or women and men, people who are sex workers can't report crimes against mm-hmm. them for fear of cops can use a sex worker services and then arrest her like that's 
legal. Now with the war on communities that sex workers use to screen clients and give each other safety tips, um, being uh, eroded by SESTA-FOSTA, sex work is becoming even more dangerous than it needs to be. There is no reason that makes any sense why I should be able to exchange my labor making a latte for money in a white market without fear of violence, Mm -hmm. but I can't give someone a blowjob for money in a white market Mm -hmm. without fear of violence. Like That is just very stupid and very harmful. We had a great episode yeah, we did. Throwback to, what was it, season seven? You, you remember the seasons way better than me. I think it was, <laughs> yeah, it was season seven, and it was we At My Service is what it mm-hmm. was called, and we had um, a pro-dominatrix, and she kind of talked about all of this, too, of just, like, the challenges that were going on and how, like, the community, like, had a lot of restrictions of how they could, like, market services and, like, just all of, like, the legal and physical dangers that were coming about. How do you think, like, mm-hmm. your traditional views in Alabama kind of, like, <laughs> shape this and polyamory and, like, all your and, way of thinking now? And do you still have internal battles Certainly, old ways and new ways? Certainly. I mean, that's such a big question. <laughs> I think, so I grew up religious, but a lot of people did. But for me, it was, I was a true believer. I think what's the same between then and now is I'm still a true believer and I'm still evangelical in what I now believe. I mean, I have a blog, I go on these spot, like I'm, I'm about spreading the gospel of what I think is right. And I think the other thing is that I've always been obsessed with truth and justice. Mm-hmm. But now it's just a matter of I'm, I'm less willing to be ashamed of things that aren't hurting anybody. Mm-hmm. I think that's the big, the big difference between then and now. I don't think sex is some magical thing that makes a transaction immoral mm-hmm. um, or, you know, something that, that people should be ashamed of. I think it's been a huge problem in society that we've, we've shamed people for being horny little girls, for, for having a sex drive, for wanting to get outside the bounds of monogamy for for doing things that don't hurt anyone. Let's hold that thought for a sec. We'll get right back to it. This episode is sponsored by Via. We all know there are things that can help set the mood in the bedroom, but did you know a little THC could also do that? Yes, Via has developed a unique blend of pleasure-enhancing cannabinoids, libido-strengthening herbs, and a low dose of THC all into one mind-blowing gummy called High Love. This gummy, wow, it will awaken your senses, increase blood flow, and intensify any sexual experience. I've been pleasantly surprised by the high love gummies because it is just the right amount of THC for me to have a good time without feeling sleepy. And hey, if THC is not your thing, Via also offers a wide array of other gummies without it. And everything legally ships in 50 states with discreet packaging directly to your door. So if you're over 21, you can get 15% off and a free pack of award-winning Dreams THC plus CBN sleep gummies with our exclusive code DATABLE at ViaHemp.com. That's V-I-I-A hemp.com. Let the gummies work their magic. Head to viahemp.com and use the code DATABLE to receive 15% off and one free sample of their sleepy dream gummies. That's viahemp.com and use the code D-A-T-E-A-B-L-E at checkout. Take your passion and pleasure to a whole new level with high love from Via Hemp. We are so excited to share with you our new podcast exit interview. Dates don't usually end with a satisfaction survey, and yet we rate everything in our lives, from Uber drivers to local coffee shops. So why don't we do the same thing when dating? We're here to conduct the ultimate romance review, featuring daters hungry for love who have agreed to call up old flames to gather honest feedback. Welcome to Exit Interview. 
he upgraded himself to business class while I was in economy. Wait, <laughs> wow. What? There's feedback that will make you cringe. She could be a little bit hard-headed, like not reading the writing on the wall. And feedback that will make you swoon. When she said that she had feelings for you. I had no idea. Really? <laughs> and maybe you'll learn a thing or two yourself about how you can be a better dater, lover, or partner. Obviously, like, knew I was going to learn something. I didn't expect this. Welcome to Exit Interview. Listen to Exit Interview on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, it's so Mm. funny because I was talking to my uh, friend and he's a gay male. And he was like, I just don't understand. (laughs) He's like, like, I literally like just like went to a bar with my partner and had like a casual four way on a Sunday. And like, for whatever (laughs) reason, if like that happened in street, like traditional world, not polyamory, but like more Mm -hmm. like traditional dating that would be like, oh my God, this would be huge. But it's such like a norm, right? So it's like his question was he's fascinated by why is this such a big deal for like straight heteronormative type relationships like his is like why is it because of like religious upbringing is it because like women don't want to be feeling like sluts and like misogyny like what is kind of like the core of like why this is like not a normal thing where in other worlds it's totally whatever i mean i started thinking about this when my sister came out of the closet and i remember sitting there in church and the pastor or the youth pastor, whoever, would be fat and railing against homosexuality. And in the Bible, overeating mm. is a sin. Not to say every fat person overeats, like, but whatever, let's just assume he does. Most of us do overeat. Why? I was thinking back then, like, why are we making such a big deal mm. about this sin? But not for this. But this yeah. is fine. And I mean, I grew up in it and mm. I don't know. I honestly don't know. I think it's really weird, but it's really unfortunate. I mean, who knows? Maybe I'll change my mind and realize like all this whoring around is just, you know, fucked up my soul and ruined my life. Like who knows, okay? But as far as I can tell, it just doesn't matter. Like it doesn't matter. You have the four-way, go to the sex party, whore around, be monogamous. It doesn't really matter. And that's what I wish people understood. Right, like it doesn't change your value as a human and like how you show up for like your loved ones and work and all the stuff that anyone does. No. I, I really think it's twofold to your friend's kind of train of thought there, which is, I think on one hand, it could be religion that really heavily promotes monogamy. So you feel like, you know, I have to be in a in a monogamous Marriage relationship. Is Marriage institution, is the answer. Right? It gets me closer to God. Other factor that comes into play is media portrayal of your typical monogamous hetero couple, which is all about possession. Mm-hmm. You wear this engagement ring because you belong to me now. You're my fiance. You get married because now you belong to me. I take your last name because you're I'm yours. So that creates a lot of jealousy. It, it creates a lot of of uncertainty in relationship. And that's why people are so afraid of exploring outside of monogamy because they feel like there's this tie of possession to your heterosexual you know, partner. I think it's those two factors that really go into like years yeah. of thinking that we have to unravel for all right. of us. But what I do appreciate about religion 
I did not grow up religious, but what I do appreciate about it is that it gives you a very clear prescribed moral compass for you to navigate your own thoughts against. Religion gives you where it says the true north is, and then you can live your life navigating thinking, is this my true north or not? One thing that I think is really interesting is that, I don't know how much this is true, but it seems like European countries have had mistress cultures and America has had an affair Mm. culture. I mean, I think we can all agree that monogamy has always, since the beginning of agriculture, been expected of women because men wanted to be sure that the babies they're providing for are theirs. So it's very important for women to be monogamous. It was only important for men to be monogamous in as far as they could provide for any children that resulted from their not being monogamous. And so in Europe, if you could afford to take care of any babies that resulted, you got to have a mistress or several, depending on how wealthy you were. And it wasn't like a heartbreak for the wives. It was like... Right. In some cultures, it's expected. It was Mm -hmm. absolutely expected. In America, instead of mistress culture, where the mistress is acknowledged, understood, not a big deal, we have this, I think, much, much worse affair culture where... It's betrayal. It's betrayal, and we need to break up, and it's a Mm -hmm. reckoning, and I don't know. I think, in a way, it's an attempt at progress and trying to make it even between men and women, but then we're just making it suck for everybody. (laughs) And so to me, polyamory is a feminist reaction to both of those cultures, which I think Mm -hmm. are both kind of failing um, in their own ways. Well, it's super interesting that women are initiating more than men to be polyamorous. Yeah. That does say a lot about the feminist aspect of it. Women started the sex positivity movement. Right. So that makes total sense for that. What were you saying about the moral compass? I just find that if you're raised in a certain way, especially in a religious way, then you have these concrete ideas of how life should be lived. And then as you live your own life, you can just measure up against what you were taught. But what I find with a lot of people now is that everyone's just lost because when you give them just a black hole of choices, seeing this from online dating too, people have no idea what they want or looking for. So therefore they have actually no baseline to compare what they want. So what we've seen, there are some who are new to the poly community and they feel like, yes, this is all about sexual liberation. (laughs) I'm going to get it on. Like this is about empowerment. And they get really lost in it because they forget like who they are and what they want from it. They forget to keep their eyes on the prize, I think. And they just really get lost in this whole movement. Yeah, it's interesting, like the whole moral compass and like, or having like a script of what you're supposed to do. And I think even if you're not religious, I think that's why also polyamory is seen so like oh my god this person is doing this and have that stigma is because you're shown through media through the way the family operates is it's mm-hmm. like a man a woman they have children mm-hmm. they like live in a home with just that family like there's a very like nuclear family that's been prescribed to all of us and i mm-hmm. think like now in this day and age that's like being challenged a lot and i think mm-hmm. a lot of that came from all the work from like the lgbtq plus community in a way couldn't have that right so it did bring to be like is there other ways that you can have a family and i think that's what's going to continue to like progress things but Mm -hmm. a lot of times people are afraid to break out of that mold because that's just like what they've been told and that's what they're expected to do and why would it be a different way yeah i think it's really underappreciated how comforting it is to believe there is a truth and i have it right it is so wonderful 
and I miss it every day. Mm. But mm. you did that, right? I and can. I think we've all done this too. Mm-hmm. It's like you follow that prescribed path and that doesn't mean you're going to be happy. Like I think that's, that's like the thing at the end of the day that we talk about with all the empty nester divorces, right? Mm-hmm. You getting married at 22 and like saving your virginity till then. Like, and I think that's why people are challenging that and thinking about like, what are these alternate configurations that could actually lead me to a happier life? Mm. Because just by following that prescribed plan doesn't work for everyone. But maybe that's something we can really learn from religious upbringings is that we live life with different theories that we want to test. It's just a thesis. So maybe that thesis is a truth we live by right now. And then we just slowly uncover, is this something I believe in or not? I think we are just all too fucking directionless right now. There's too many choices. Oh, we can live non-monogamous life. We can live a monogamous life. Ah, I don't know what I want anymore. So it'd be nice to say, this is my daily truth. My daily truth is I believe it takes a village to raise kids and a family and a community. And that's why I believe in polyamory. Maybe Maybe that's it. Who knows? But it'd be nice if people had more of a direction. I think what people need is meaning. And mm-hmm. I think that meaning is found through other people. And I think that religion is an excellent source of both meaning and community. Mm-hmm. People go into polyamory a lot of time expecting it to fix their loneliness, either in their yes. relationships or just in their lives. And it won't by itself. I've tried. <laughs> Having mm-hmm. sex with a lot of people is fun, but it will not fix your loneliness. And well, going into a relationship won't fix your loneliness either, even if it's a monogamous relationship. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so I think there's an opportunity. We are beginning to see groups that are not the church, like Organ House, um, Mm -hmm. fill that church-like function of providing meaning whether that's normalizing non-monogamy mm-hmm. or you know providing those templates to people that who don't have them right now because we've been given one template I mean we need more or whatever it is you want to accomplish idea is to truly depend on each other yeah. You know, when something happens, you know who your community is and how they're going to step up for you. And you know when someone in your community needs help, how you need to step up for them. That's something the church has done a great job at. Yes. That the, we outside of the yeah. church have not. The yes. sense of community. And people say that all the time with like religion kind of being on the back burner. Like so interesting because I remember like growing up, everyone would be like, what religion are you? And like now, you, when oh, do you ever it's like ask taboo you? to ask that now. Or it's just like something you don't even think about, I yeah. feel like. Because it's like so many people just like, don't kind of affiliate with any religion like there's so much going on but people will say the whole a lot of the benefits of religion was the community absolutely so i totally agree with you of like how can we find that in other places it's not like let's go to church or temple or like somewhere that Mm -hmm. there is like a set of rules we must follow but is there a place we can find that sense of community elsewhere and feel safe yeah and by the way it's the best way to meet a partner yeah it really is because you know you're on the same page already absolutely and i love in your blog i saw that you had an article that it was like the key to life isn't happiness, it's meaning. meaning yeah. So and I, t- uh, I think that's so interesting because like we're always like trying to get happy and it's like, is that really like how you get happy to try to get happy? Like there's much yeah. more to it. And that just goes into the whole mental health issue that we're all trying to bring to surface right now, which is we think happiness comes from events or milestones. Yep. And then we become dependent on that. And when those things don't make us happy, we get depressed and it's cyclical. And that's why depression has really come into light in recent years because we get ourselves in the cycle of depression right. depending on things to make us happy but if you, there's meaning behind these milestones and events then you're able to hang on to something a lot more substantial 
So before we go to takeaways, like <laughs> that was the takeaways or not? <laughs> I do want to read like one quote that I found in one of your articles, and then we'll go to takeaways. But I love this, and it was like about this whole thing: like, is there more you can learn in a polyamorous relationship versus a monogamous relationship? And you wrote, "But there's nothing you can learn in ENM or ethical non-monogamy that you can't learn in monogamy, except what it's like to fuck multiple people at the same time. <laughs> Sometimes, literally, ethically." just love it that's great I do want to ask you about um, what do you think the future of traditional relationships could look like let's say in 20 years where do you see this trending I'm honestly more interested in I'm such a nerd but (laughs) the way that the economy is going to impact relationships you're the second person who's brought up the economy I love it this is great I mean (laughs) women are on track the average woman is on track to out earn the average man see it all the time (laughs) in the bottom half of the income pool there are more employed employed women than men or or, you know women are earning anyway there are not enough uh high earning men to go around like you cannot fix poverty by marrying uh, low-income men and low-income women it's just work out and have the woman stay home it's not a mathematical possibility right now Mm. and so um i'm interested in how that will change the other thing that I'm interested in how it will impact uh, relationships is the move to cities. Mm. I think we're going to see further urbanization. I was just reading a McKinsey report um, about how the jobs are going to continue to be uh, started in cities rather than suburbs yeah. and rural mm. areas. And so it's very difficult to have kids in a city. And so, yeah, I, I, I think all that is going to have a much – I believe that culture follows – economic conditions and I think yeah. those economic conditions are going to have a much bigger impact on how relationships shake out than you know anything you or I preach about monogamy or non-monogamy. Interesting because we actually talked to Dr. Alexandra Solomon who's a professor at Northwestern and she teaches like the most popular class there marriage 101 it's called but she said it like could be hookup culture or anything like just how to have relationships and she said the same thing like mm-hmm. it was all about like why people are marrying later why they're not having children like it all came down to like economics and it's so interesting because you don't think about that like you think of like changing gender roles or like Mm -hmm. poly or monogamous and it is fascinating that economics has such a big part of all that and by virtue of that pattern i would think that in like say 10 to 20 years that the only people having kids are those in polyamorous relationships because those are the only ones who can afford to have kids kind of like ben and kate not to say financially i have no idea what they're financial um, situation is but Ben and Kate are moving into a house with with partners so they can all raise their kids together maybe that's the future I mean Could it's be. also the past right yeah absolutely well, it comes isn't full that circle. how it always goes exactly. even with like fashion it's like it always yeah, comes back it always exactly. comes back it's also interesting the other flip side of this would people be more monogamous because if they can't afford to take people on multiple dates <laughs> that's, true. <laughs> that's true it's like I can only have one girlfriend because I just can't or <laughs> Will that not even matter because men and women don't have to be to those stereotypes anymore? Or would just, we'd rather just pay that one-time fee of $4,000 for a robot that we can have sex with <laughs> and relationship with for the rest of our lives. And, and then we just it. don't procreate <laughs> at all. There, there Mi- you go, guys. Mini you heard robots. Thanks, economics. <laughs> cool. So what are some of our takeaways? I think what Kathy said earlier just really sparked something
something in me, which is we shouldn't think about relationships so binary. Yeah. It's not like whether it's open or, you know, like people kind of judge. If you're poly, then you judge monogamous couples. And then if you're monogamous, you judge non-monogamy. It's fluid. We're on a spectrum. Relationships are constantly evolving. And I love this idea of inserting a little bit of non-monogamy into your monogamous relationship to keep things kind of cool and like kind of exciting, but also a little bit uncomfortable. I like that having discomfort in a relationship is not necessarily a bad thing. It means you're pushing your relationship forward. I love that. And I think also it is a good tool to be armed with if someone comes to you with kind of this a different arrangement that may not be something that you're used to and like how can you work through it together opposed to being like no mm-hmm. and like giving it that black and white answer also. Mm-hmm. And to relate back to why we wanted Kathy on this episode in the first place is this idea of religion, what it plays into your life and how it shapes who you are today. I think we should all sit down one day and just ask ourselves, even if you're not religious, especially if you're not religious, what is your religion? What do you believe in? Right. And that doesn't have to be like Judaism, Christianity, no, all those who, types of things. Yeah. It can be your, your made God. up religion, right? Absolutely. <laughs> but I think this is another takeaway I have. And we've talked about this on other episodes too, is it's like just what you've been told from an early age doesn't mean that that is like the right path for you. Mm-hmm. And it's like always be questioning, like just because you were told you're supposed to get married to heterosexual partner and procreate and have children and move to the suburbs, all that stuff does not mean that's for everyone. Mm -hmm. And I don't think people should feel badly about it or think less of them as a person if they choose to have multiple partners or single partner, like find what works for you. And there's not like a right or wrong. And if you come back full circle, that is a-okay. If Kathy comes back and says, actually, I really enjoy that religious life. I believe in monogamy. I believe in marriage. That is okay because you had to go through all the rest to arrive at you think where you started, but it's actually, that's where you should be, right? Right. So I don't think we need to think about like totally denying what you used to believe in. It's just more of an experiment. You're just testing things out. I love it. To play off that, like we kind of talked about earlier, like is there a benefit from having that like prescribed plan Mm -hmm. or like will you get lost in it? And I think it's okay to get lost. Like I think it's fine to like not know what you want and like you said, go from being poly to being monogamous or whatever. Whatever that shift is, like, Mm -hmm. if you kind of know and then you can understand yourself and you can, like, see if that is or isn't something for you, opposed to just assuming it isn't or, like, feeling like if you went one path, you have to stay there forever. Like, all of that, I think it's okay to have that exploration. I think the reality is, like, it's never over. Like, even if you're married, like... Things change. People oh, change. Like, time. I personally want to, like, refrain from saying, like, if I'm pro or not polyamory. I think at this stage of my life, I want to be with a monogamous partner. Will that change? Could. I don't yeah. want to, like, close the door in any direction, right? It's like yeah. until you're in a situation where you feel differently and, like, having different experiences, then, like, who knows? And to be fair, Julie, you haven't been propositioned either. That's true. Right? So it's not even for or against. It's just that I haven't encountered that yet. Right. Like if I was with a partner that that was really important to them, I think it's like, I'm going to have that conversation. It's not like a hard yes or hard no. Right. Kathy, I know you kind of talk about this stuff all the time on your blog, but anything from this conversation that you would add as a takeaway that you've had? No, I think it's been a wonderful conversation. Yeah. I, I think you guys really summarized it well. 
I guess the one thing I would want people to come away from is is to embrace the the discomfort, to embrace the uncertainty, to embrace the not knowing because it's scary and it's uncomfortable, but it's fun and exciting and it's where the growth is. I love that too. Like you kind of brought it up. It's like no matter what your arrangement is, like there's always discomfort. Just because you're married and there's a legal contract doesn't mean mm-hmm. that that's anything could happen. Right. right? Absolutely. That's I'm, scary and wonderful. It is scary and wonderful. Well, the discomfort doesn't have to be negative. It can just be, you can just be curious about it. Why am I uncomfortable in this? And speaking of discomfort, I, my pants are way too tight right now. I'm experiencing some <laughs> discomfort because I think I had too many chocolate covered almonds. So that's what I discovered about myself today. Not to do that again. But thank you so much, Kathy, for sharing your journey with us. If people want to read some of your blog articles, where can they find you? Thank you so much. I'm at kathyreisenwitz.com or you can just Google sex in the state. And Kathy Reisenwitz is C-A-T-H-Y-R-E-I-S-E-N-W-I-T-Z. My Twitter is at Kathy Reisenwitz. Um, check me out. Awesome. Any other places that you're found or anything else you want to plug? Sometimes I write for the Bay City Beacon. Um, I'm on Facebook. I have a newsletter that you can sign up for either on my website or on Twitter. It's um, mostly daily. And I'm writing a series right now called What the Fuck is Wrong with San Francisco? <laughs> it is a guide to, uh, to San Francisco politics um, and culture, mostly politics, geared toward people who are, have not been following it. So, yeah. Wow, I can't wait to check that out. Yeah, Sounds very it. interesting <laughs> slash terrifying. <laughs> Drink some wine yeah, while you read that. Uncomfort's <laughs> good, right? Yeah, yeah. Embrace that discomfort, Julie. Just do it. One last question. Do you believe in marriage? Like, would you get married? again oh that's a good question absolutely cool all right (laughs) okay we can wrap this up thank you again and this was a great discussion i think we uncovered a lot of layers about everything (laughs) from religion to politics to (laughs) economics to relationships to tight pants all right (laughs) we're gonna wrap this up stay want to continue the conversation First, follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter with the handle at Datable Podcast. Tag us in any post with the hashtag StayDatable and trust us, we look at all of those posts. Then head over to our website, DatablePodcast.com. There you'll find all the episodes as well as articles, videos, and our coaching service with vetted industry experts. You can also find our premium Y series where we dissect, analyze, and offer solutions to some of the most common dating conundrums. We're also downloadable for free on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Overcast, Stitcher Radio, and other podcast platforms. Your feedback is valuable to us, so don't forget to leave us a review. And most importantly, remember to stay dateable. 